Blog Talk Radio. Hi, good evening, folks. It's Adriel Hampton, host of Government 2.0 Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us uh, tonight uh, or uh, this afternoon, depending on where you're at. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Australian eGov practitioner Craig Tomler, uh, who's been uh, in the business, uh, I believe, since uh, Steve Ressler and I were in high school. Uh, so it'd be great to get uh, his perspective on what's been going on in uh, Australian and uh, U.S. Uh, government 2.0. And I'm here tonight with my co-host, Steve Ressler, uh, CEO and President of GovLoop, and with Steve Lunsford, uh, who's the brains behind the GovTwit government Twitter directory. And I'm uh, very happy to have the two Steves as well as Craig. Uh, Steve uh, Ressler, what's going on in your uh, neck of the woods? You're back home in sunny Florida? Missing yeah. Oh my God. Yep. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm thankful that I'm in Florida, unlike my northeastern brethren, uh, Snowden. Um, but all is well, you know, preparing for the holidays. Um, we uh, just kind of wrapped up on our big uh, awesome Gov charity contest. We're going to announce that tomorrow, but uh, we're going to end up kind of giving almost $2,000 to a pretty cool charity startup uh, called Adventures for the Cure, which is actually created by one federal employee and one federal contractor around uh, type 1 diabetes and they've actually like biked across the US four times and filmed a documentary and go to Kenya every year and have their own diabetes camp and uh, make me feel like I uh, should be doing a thousand more things so uh, one out there tomorrow but it's pretty cool to see uh, you know these kind of cool charity startups and W's doing good things sorry what's up with you Perhaps having a little bit of trouble with Lunsford there. Um, to perhaps have him have him call back. Um, Craig, and you're with us. Yes. Hi, Adriel. And can you tell our, our audience a little bit about your uh, your your experience in the uh, eGov community and what you're up to uh, presently? And uh, and then I'd love to talk to you about some some really uh, current news going on in Australia. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for inviting me on. Um, I suppose uh, my career in the, in the whole online space started about 15 years ago. Um, I got onto the uh, dot com boom sort of in in the reasonably early days, particularly for Australia. Um, I only got involved in the uh, government space about. Uh, three years ago um, when I actually joined the public service uh, in Canberra, our federal public service. Um, and uh, since then, um, I basically uh, found when I got there that there wasn't a lot of conversation going on between um, people who were, who were practicing in the area. Um, so uh, I immediately jumped in and, and set up a blog and tried to start creating some conversation between people and, and that's sort of what I've been doing over the last couple of years. Um, as to what uh, I'm working on at the moment, I'm uh, currently working on uh, our, our own health uh, reform process over here um, where we've already got a, a, a public health system but we are looking at how we actually improve it for the next 20 or 30 years. Um, so uh, we're doing a, a very large uh, consultation at the moment with a lot of that being online uh, and I'm looking after the online aspects of it. That's great and so you're kind of uh 
really engaged in the collaborative process using new tools, I wonder? Uh, yeah, we, we're doing a lot of that um, at the moment. Um, I, I suppose right now what we're doing is we're getting a lot of feedback in and we're trying to get um, the public uh, involved in, in giving their views on, on how things should be improved. Um, moving into collaborative space is, is still, a, a, I think, a, a slow process over here. We're still feeling our way, I think, as a lot of people are in Government 2.0, and we're not quite sure how deeply um, to get the public involved or how to get them involved sometimes. So that's, uh, I think, a work in progress here, as I think it is pretty well everywhere else in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Steve Ressler chiming in. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I've been kind of following the Australian... Um, work especially around the the Gov two O task force, and, and maybe can, you can tell uh, you know shed some light on that for um, you know watching from afar. And, uh, I guess I don't know quite all the the details. I know there's some smart people over there, like I think it's Stephen Collier and, and others. Maybe you can tell us um, what's kind of been going on with that and what's that at right now. Yeah, it's been a, a very exciting six months in the Gov 2.0 space in Australia. Um, it was about six months ago when the Gov 2.0 task force was set up by the federal government um, to basically uh, give some recommendations to the government on how to take the whole area forward, um, what sort of things could be implemented, uh, how, they how they could be uh, brought in and, and what the challenges were. Um, and that, um, then the task force was mainly made up of uh, independents, not from government people, and though it's got some government people as well. So it's been running quite a bit independently of the government and it's been running a lot of events and, and um, engaged in a lot of interactions that, that maybe would have been more difficult if it was just totally government-based. Um, it's uh, led by Doc, uh, Dr Nicholas Gruen, who I believe was over there for um, the Washington Gov2 event. Um, to get a bit of uh, feeling for what was going over in the, the scene over in the US. Um, and where they are at at the moment is they've um, they released their draft report online for comment um, around the start of December. And uh, I believe that uh, today or tomorrow they're actually handing their final report uh, into uh, the minister responsible. Uh, and then we'll, um, he'll have a bit of time to consider it and then we'll uh, see what comes out of it in early next year. Like yeah, so, um, yeah. Some inputs into that yourself. Did you get get, get engaged in the, the comment process on the uh, task force report? Yeah, I, I know a lot of the um, task force members, and I've been uh, fairly actively uh, involved in, in in talking to them at, across different events and and online and in various ways. So um, I, I've had input in a variety of ways into it. There's a lot of other people who have as well. Um, their their uh, actual uh, site gov to uh, .net.au has been a source for a lot of that uh, discussion, so they've had a lot of people commenting. Um, I guess um, it's, it's been a very open process. It's been a, a, a great group to talk to. They've been very open to hearing uh, the good and the bad, people's experiences within government, um, the experiences from people trying to deal with government, um, and uh, they've taken all of that on board, and I think their report will reflect a lot of the challenges and, and I think one of their big things they're coming back with is, is the largest challenge really here is not so much, the, not the technology, it's not even the money, it's more around uh, the culture um, and how we go about um, adjusting public sector culture to, to take into account, you know, actually engaging with the public in open and transparent ways. And I yeah, think that's, that's not uh, unique to Australia. 
No, oh, totally. I don't. I actually don't think it's even unique to uh, large organizations. I mean, I uh, I was actually on a plane not that long ago with um, uh, a woman who works for Hormel companies, a sort of product foods company in the U.S. They make uh, spam, actually a bunch of big products, and you know, I was talking to her about social media, and you know, and they're facing kind of the same challenges. They know they need to get out there. They uh, you know want to be more transparent, be more online. But uh, they're still struggling with, you know, a lot of the, you know, Facebook and a lot of the tools are still blocked internally, and you know, it's similar to any kind of government organization. So I think it's a cultural shift for everyone. So uh, I don't think public sector is even uh, the only unique beast in the, in the whole mix. No, and, and we're seeing uh, the large corporates over here in Australia, who I think are, are, are quite a bit behind the large corporates over in the US, um, who, are, who are struggling with it. And I think in a lot of ways, government in Australia is actually quite a bit ahead of the commercial sector um, in Australia. Um, we've just had uh, our, uh, our, our largest telco, um, Telstra, bring out um, their um, social media uh, guidelines, and they've actually released their internal um, program for training staff um, onto the web, which I actually uh, put up in my blog, eGovAU, um, so it, uh, you can actually link to it and have a look at what they've done there. And that's the first uh, time I think in Australia somebody said, well, not only do we have a program to train our staff on social media, but we're going to show the, you know, the public what actually it is and how it works and what we're teaching them to do. And I think about uh, 12,000 of their um, uh, 48,000 staff have actually uh, done the program already. That's great. So they're actually running people through uh, through a training. Every, every every member of their staff is that how they're doing it? Yeah, their their intention to get every member of their staff through, and I, and and the goal is to really to to teach people like you mightn't be authorised to speak on behalf of Telstra, but what you do and what you say online still reflects. On, on the organisation and there are times when you're going to you know, say things related to the business just because people talk about their work um, and uh, it gives people some guidelines on what is and isn't acceptable which is uh, I think a lot more than a lot of organisations over here are doing as yet. That's great. I mean, it, it seems like that's something that governments could learn from. Is just put all your staff members through a, a training. Um, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. I don't know, Steve. Have you seen any examples of, you know, I, I think the army has had some don't kind of videos and things like that. But putting every member of an organization through training. No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't heard that yet. But I mean, it, it makes sense. And you know, it's kind of building upon. Um, you know, you know, in your day one training, right? I mean, I think it's the same sort of deal, right? You know, you're representing uh, when you go to, uh, you know, your, your neighborhood picnic and when you're going to a social event, that's your, uh, um, you're kind of always, you know, somewhat representing who you work for. So it makes sense to kind of extend it. Um, my, my kind of a kind of follow-up question, can you talk a little bit for, um, you know, it's always hard to tell from the U.S. kind of the, the size and scope about, uh, you know, like to me, Australian government. So maybe you can just do, I mean, how many, is it a couple hundred thousand employees in Australian government? Is it is there kind of a federal level and a state local? Or how does kind of government operate there? Just kind of a curious basic yeah, um, uh, question. Yeah, we, we have three tiers of government here. So there's a, there's a federal, Commonwealth government, a state governments, and then local government. 
Um, so we have uh, eight states and territories that have that level of government. And uh, in, in one of them, it doubles as a local government as well. So in, in, in the ACT, where I'm based, we actually only have two levels of government. Um, but in most cases, we have three. Um, we've, we're based quite heavily on, on the British Westminster system. So it means we've got um, you know, a couple of houses, similar to you have two houses over in the US as well. Um, and uh, the upper house tends to be, in, in Australia, the upper house is the state's house. So there's a couple of representatives from each state who are directly elected by the population of that state. Um, what we don't have is a, a separate um, office of, of presidents. Um, we have a prime minister who's an elected member of um, our federal government, and that works at the state levels as well. So there's three levels working there. Um, and what it means is that uh, all of our ministers are also elected members of parliament. And uh, that means they've got a double burden. They've both got to deal with their subject matter, whatever their portfolio is. And they've also got to deal with the, the electioneering and the, and the local needs of their electorates. So I think they can't always be quite as focused as, as your secretaries over there can be, since they're not um, always you know, directly elected members. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, and, and what's what's the general sense of, uh, do you know how many public sector employees there are in Australia? And what's the what's the kind of general stereotypes of the type of people that go in public service? I wonder if it's kind of the same as the United States or. And all yeah, that. it's it, it it's a bit hard for me to give a figure across the whole public sector over here. Um, but I guess the the federal public sector, I think it's about two hundred thousand people. Um, with a large proportion of them based in uh, Canberra, which is our capital. I know a lot of people think it's Sydney or Melbourne, but it's actually uh, Canberra, um, which is uh, in between the two. Um, and then I think at the state levels, it's probably uh, up, up to close the same again. So it might be you know, up, up to at most with, with uh, local governments as well. It's maybe half a million um, to a million people in total um, out of a population of about 22 now. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think in the U.S. it's uh, three, 2.8 million federal employees, and um, it kind of varies. You get states, but um, yeah, it's always kind of fascinating to hear uh, the different experiences. And um, and you, you've kind of been involved since kind of the first introduction of the web, kind of in Australia. So I'd love to hear what you, what your kind of take on how you know Web 2.0 and now Gov 2.0 is different than. Uh, eGov and, and when the web was first introduced, do you see kind of key similarities and, and what differences are you seeing? Yeah, I, th I think they've represented a couple of different waves of development. Um, I think the first wave was for, for governments to get their information online. So that was the, the Gov 1.0 stuff, you know, the brochureware, just to get some information in place so that people could go online and find out, you know, where they had to go or who they had to talk to. Um, we've had quite a bit done in the eGov space. There's a, there's a lot of Australian government services you can interact with online, and that's more around the uh, being able to transact with government. Um, and we have um, a lot of, um, uh, in particular, business services uh, are centralised through business.gov.au, um, and that handles state, local, and federal level. So there's a lot of that going on. And there's some work being done to do a similar thing for... Um, uh, for direct customer services, sort of like the UK's uh, DirectGov site. Um, we're looking at doing some of that through um, australia.gov.au here. Um, though it's still in early days for that. Um, so that's the eGov side, and that really, I think that took off around 
um, 2001, 2002, and it's been growing. Um, but of course, it's it's being eclipsed by Gov2, which of course has got the buzzword and all the interesting new technologies. And uh, there's been a lot of activity in that space. I think over the last, really the last year, um, I was doing a few things before then, um, but it's really been the last year that we've seen a lot of agencies start to, to consider um, you know, doing things like uh, you know, having Facebook sites where they're actually communicating two-way with audiences and having online consultations and beginning to do some collaborative work with people. Um, and that's been more of the, the, the engagement, um, you know, bringing the citizens inside government, so to speak, rather than having them at arm's length. Um, I think that's also the hardest change to make. Um, the other two uh, you know, waves we've seen have really been about you know, government saying, well, this is what we're going to give you, and then you can interact with it as you, or not as you choose. Whereas this is more around, well, we'll put ourselves out there, and then it's up to the public where they go. So it's a lot more challenging for government. Absolutely. And, um, Craig, I, I took some time recently to read the, uh, the draft report from the Government 2.0 Task Force. Something I was really impressed by is they seem to have not only really done their homework, but really kind of incorporated the best uh, of several areas of kind of the Gov2.0 movement. You know, they've got open data components, they've got a collaboration components, they have a kind of a common standards uh, section, and uh, it looks like a lot of analysts, and I would throw myself in that bunch, found that that report uh, really went beyond what the kind of open government directive in the U.S. has done. Uh, what kind of feedback have you been seeing in Australia? I mean, are the major papers covering that report? Yeah, we've been getting some good coverage of it. Uh, it's actually been uh, good to see because earlier in the process, the, the, ma the major media over here really was just totally ignoring everything that was going on in government. They were only interested in the scandals. So they've been giving some positive coverage um, to this now, which has been good. And the coverage has been um, uniformly good. It's, it's been very good. And I think the task force themselves, uh, from the, the people I've spoken to on it, have been really, really happy with the feedback. Um, and I think, um, you know, we, we have a little bit of a benefit in that I think we are a little bit behind places like the US and the UK on some of these initiatives. So we're able to stand on the shoulders of giants um, and actually uh, not make some of the same mistakes and uh, build on your work. So I think that's been um, really useful for us in pulling things together. And, and uh, I've got a couple of questions. I've got a chat room open here, and Steve Lunsford's having trouble getting on, uh, online with us, but he's got some questions. Um, he was asking what you knew about other uh, non-English nations in kind of the Asia-Pacific rim. Uh, are you uh, keeping up with what they've been looking at in EGOV? Or, or excuse um, me, point oh tools more <laughs> Yeah, I, I personally go out there and, and look at it, though I don't um, talk about it much on my blog, because uh, unfortunately, because of the language barriers, it, it actually starts to get a little bit more difficult to look at what's going on. Um, but Japan's done quite a bit in um, places like the patent area, where they, they actually um, started off, I think, with uh, trials of, of getting the public to look at patents before the US did. Um, and we're you know, starting to look into that space here in Australia as well now. Um, and uh, South Korea has been doing some interesting things with consultation online as well. Um, well and they have a wrestler uh, over there, actually. All right, good. Yeah, they, they have quite a rowdy um, parliament 
system over there too from what I've seen on uh, YouTube and places. So the fact you can get videos of their parliament uh, having some uh, extremely robust and physical discussions um, is I find uh, quite interesting and revealing as well. Um, I think um, it's, it's harder to say in some of the other countries like Thailand and, and Vietnam and other countries. Um, I have been invited up to Hong Kong next year to um, talk to um, some of their um, public service um, about Gov 2.0 from Australia. So um, I'm going to use that opportunity to get a bit of feeling of what's actually going on in China, which should be interesting. But uh, I, think, I think there's an overall movement in this direction, but the rate of movement varies. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's surprising to read uh, something from you know the Australian task force, and you see all the all the names you know. I think Anil Dash and Tim O'Reilly, and you know they're being quoted and referenced. And um, but uh, at the at the same end, I was kind of you know a little bit sad to see the Open Government Directive with all the great uh, actual policy that's in it. You know, it, it kind of almost appears to have been created out of a vacuum. And with the Australian report, you really got that people are very up on what everyone else is doing and, and willing to, like you said, stand stand on their shoulders, which I think is, is one of the tenets of Government 2.0. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, is yeah, it, it is very interesting to watch what's going on in New Zealand as well. Because um, they're English speaking, it's easy for us to keep an eye on them. Um, but also, uh, I think they're a little bit more advanced with us. They've been doing some um, state-based blogging for a couple of years now, and and they've really um, they, they've gotten together um, in a very um, effective way to start using these tools within government uh, first. And I think they're starting to use them with the public as well now. Yeah, I know. Actually, a couple of um, I met a couple of them. Uh, from New Zealand, I think Matt Lane um, and Lawrence Miller, who was the former CIO, and I think Lawrence was actually one of the first uh, overall government for a country to actually start a blog. Um, he, he occasionally posts a blog on GovLoop. Um, it was at the Gov2O conference, so it's uh, they have some, you know they're doing some cool stuff. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, you guys probably have the big brother little sister thing with uh, New Zealand, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, something like that. Kind <laughs> <laughs> so of like us in Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them who actually live and work in Australia. I think about half a million of them. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's it's very hard to walk the streets without running into a New Zealander here and there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a huge flight of the Concord junkie, so um, <laughs> that, that's, that's yeah. their biggest thing to America. <laughs> I'm going to start getting hate mail if we... Uh, if we uh, we cross any lines here. Lunsford had a question for you, Craig, which is about the healthcare sector. And you've probably tracked, like on Twitter, there's a pretty robust uh, health 2.0 sector. And Steve's asking, why do you think that healthcare seems to gravitate towards those kind of tools? I mean, you've got CDC and uh, Health and Human Services here that are very active in social media. National Health Service in the UK. Um, you, what, what do you see in that area? Yeah, it, actually, uh, the CDC is someone who I, um, I try and use an example of at, at work um, of what can be done, um, and 
they're very, very useful what they're doing in that space. Um, I think the, the interesting thing with healthcare as opposed to a lot of government services is that it pretty well affects everybody um, you know, throughout their life in different ways. So you know, there are big topics like defence and uh, tax and things like that um, and even uh, welfare but they tend to um, not affect everybody all the time in quite the same way. Whereas I think people's health is obviously very important to them, um, and their family's health is, is, you know, one of one of the key drivers in communities is keeping their families healthy. So I think it's just got that um, very very broad base and engagement that's already there. Um, so I think having the engagement makes it a lot easier to get um, the public, you know, involved because they're already interested. So I think that's a, a so key like you might area be able to more Big, big, big chunks of government, but you can't really ignore the healthcare system and how it no. Yeah. No, and and it and it gets so emotional as well. You know, seeing um, you know kids who are dying due to lack of transplants or you know th things along those lines. It's just got such an emotional element involved with it that people really, um, you know, they they really get very passionate about it. As as we're seeing from the U.S. healthcare debate, that's that's. Um, that's incredibly uh, passionate over there from what we can see from uh, this distance. Did you follow... Yeah, in, in Australia... Um, oh, I'm sorry, Craig, go ahead. Oh, in, in Australia, we've already got sort of a universal healthcare system, so everybody can go to the doctor for, you know, reasonably low costs and, and, and get what they need, um, which, which uh, in some senses makes it harder for us to understand some of the resistance that goes on in the US, because we see that as, as that's a basic service that government, you know, should provide to people. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to mention, uh, I, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but the... Um when you talk about the, the passionate debate and energy that comes out of healthcare, the uh, whole Eric uh, De La Cruz saga when his sister was trying to get him uh, transferred to a different state and it, it took on a you know a Twitter hashtag and became very popular. There was some uh, you know I think Nine Inch Nails got involved in in helping with that cause. And then there's also the whole Blame Drew's Cancer uh, movement, kind of a mm, cancer spirit yeah. and uh, it, it's interesting because social media and health and, and government seem to overlap in so many ways. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a great place to be in government if you're if you're pushing into the social media space, and that's one of the reasons why I shifted into the area because um, I just think we can um, we can drive a lot more engagement through through this space and a lot of positive engagement as well. Um, and even even looking at things such as um, some of the vaccination debates that go on online, which we have our share of here in Australia as well, um, and basically making sure that people have the right information, that you can actually engage with them online and say, well, you know, that's the information you've been given from this source, but this is what, you know, the doctors are saying. And actually giving people a balanced view of what's going on, being able to, to interactively, you know, help... Um, help get them involved in the conversation and get them to tell us, you know, as government, what they want to see as the priorities in health, um, I think is very important moving forward. Now, let's, uh, let's move to more controversial uh, topics. First, I guess we'll start, let's start with the really uh, controversial one first, and then we can talk a little bit about the National Broadband Network effort in Australia. But uh, the the whole mandatory internet filtering that that's uh, 
I guess it's been proposed in Parliament, but uh, is there actual legislation at this point? Well, uh, where it is right now um, is that there was a policy platform that came out with the current government before they were elected, five days before they were elected, they released their policy platform for uh, the internet. Um, And what they've done over the last two years is they've basically gone through a series of steps to basically realise that policy platform. Um, where, where they are right now is um, we've just, they've just, the government just conducted a trial in Australia with a company called Enex where they uh, looked at uh, a set of filtering technologies um, with a, a group of, of ISPs, um, mostly smaller ISPs but one or two bigger ones. Um, and I can't tell you how large the sample size was. There's, there's rumours around uh, being small sample size. At least one ISP only had 15 customers on it, but I don't know the full size of that. Um, but the outcome from that was that they basically said, well, it's, it's possible to filter a list of web pages um, and get that so that nobody can see them, but it's not going to be possible to filter peer-to-peer and chat and other mechanisms as well. And uh, the government has taken that to say, well, you know, our proposal for having a mandatory filter on certain types of, of web page material, we're going to move forward to introduce that as legislation next year and actually have that come into effect at the start of 2011. So that's, that's um, sort of um, the, the position as I understand it personally. Okay, and uh, oh, here we go. This is great. Steve Lunsford points out that uh, I was just going to say that a lot of folks seem to be very early, which is always good if you're going to organize some kind of political protest, very early getting very uh, upset about some of the the possibilities of a mandatory Internet filter. But someone points that a protester has registered stephenconroy.com.au and turned it into an anti-censorship site. Yeah, that that was an interesting one. Um, I've been I've been watching this um, from the perspective of of um, someone who's you know interested in looking at how does government actually deal with a social media backlash. Yeah, um, you've got a great obviously on, that on, on your. That's your, right. That's right. Yeah. It is it is going to happen from time to time where the government will do something that isn't widely popular or where there's a there's a minority group who gets very very active on social media to oppose it. It's, it's just going to happen. So, you ha- so governments have to be able to know how to uh, recognise and understand it and whether it is you know, something where you know, they do need to review what they're doing or whether it's something where they should you know, just butt through anyway. Cause sometimes governments do have to make unpopular decisions. Um, in, in this case, um, just watching um, the the uh, the Twitter feed itself has been amazing because um, I was uh, I was at that broadband conference which I know we'll talk about a bit later but over the course of the two days of that event there were about four thousand tweets about the event um, just watching one of the the three main hashtags for the the debate on the mandatory filter um, in the first two days it had about nineteen thousand uh, tweets and uh, they were um, pretty uniformly uh, negative about it because that's what the, the, the hashtag was about was saying well we don't agree with this filter um, so it's attracted an enormous discussion on there and we've also had one of our major daily newspapers have an online poll and have had over 23,000 uh, votes in it uh, with 95% saying they oppose a mandatory filter so there's been a lot of very active um, discussion in opposition to it online and there's been a few lone voices who are saying well actually we think it's a good idea but it's been very uniform um, and, and with the website 
I'm sorry, Craig, I just want to make sure people understand that the intent of the government uh, ostensibly is to block uh, super illicit sites, right? They, they're, they're ones, what, are they, what is the technical word for the kind of site? Like not well, um, right? <clears throat> well the, the minister involved has, um, has uh, put a lot of it uh, into um, basically managing or, or preventing child porno uh, pornography and protecting children online. So that's been a thrust of most of his statements on it. Um, the actual category, um, they're looking at blocking illegal material, and we already have a list in Australia of illegal um, sites, which are actually, uh, it's a secret list, so nobody's supposed to know what's on it, and that's provided to ISPs who can offer it as an opt-in filter, which some families there already you know, is choose an to take up. Filter in Australia. Sorry? There already is an opt-in filter? Yeah, the different, some, some uh, internet service providers uh, have, provide opt-in filters. Um, so it's, it's basically to support families who, who want a bit more safety online. They want to know that their kids aren't going to see certain materials, so they, they opt into this list or, or uh, overseas lists. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a personal choice of those people involved. Um, but the approach by the government is basically uh, this legislation that they want to introduce is to make it mandatory. Every ISP will be required to filter every internet account for certain web pages. Um, and it won't only necessarily be illegal content, it will also include content which we call restricted classification, which is basically material that can be that, that isn't illegal, but it's regarded as offensive in some way. Um, so for example, The Peaceful Pill is a book that's actually uh, on the restricted classification list in Australia. That's about uh, euthanasia. Um, and that's actually not allowed to be sold in Australia, though you're allowed to buy it from Amazon and it's not an offence to actually have a copy of the book. So there are things around uh, euthanasia and suicide and things that talk about how to conduct terrorist acts and there's material like that that isn't always, strictly speaking, illegal but is still regarded as undesirable by someone and um, that's, um, that's looking at being on the list as well. But it's still very vague. Um, it's very unclear as to what's likely to be on and off the list. It's not really clear who will be managing the list at this point. And the government's actually having a consultation to sort out, you know, what people think should be the way forward in terms of how the list is managed rather, rather than a consultation on whether or not we should have a mandatory filter. So they've moved on to the next question whereas I don't know whether all the community have necessarily moved on to that question at this point. Yeah, it, it seems to me to be a very interesting application of kind of the impact of social media and whether, I mean, it, it's, it may be one of the bigger tests of whether folks can move the online action, because I'm guessing that the kind of anti-censorship, you know, anti filter, they're calling it no clean feed, right? Isn't it called the clean feed bill, um, at least casually? Yeah, I, I think, I think clean feed was, was the term they originally using. So no clean feed is one of the, the key tags they're using against it. It's also starting to come up as, as no internet filter or you know, no, no filter as well, because well, um, some people are saying that's a little bit more positive than saying no clean feed. Because I think most people yeah, are, yeah, are perfectly... Yeah. Yeah, rhetorically, you have to drop in. Now, yeah. one of the things I was really wondering about is, 
you probably it's one of these things where a politician can say what this is supposed to do and it can sound great to to you know mom and pop and people who maybe aren't really engaged but then you've got people who are online you know and have been for some time and maybe are really aware of what china does with its internet filters how they keep undesirable political material uh, out of the hands of of the folks there uh and there's probably two perceptions that are very very different i would think depending on whether you're kind of an offline person or whether you're an engaged internet user yeah and that's uh and that's really i think where a lot of the discussions are breaking down I think a lot of it is generational as well. You know, you've got um, people who are uh, who are relatively new to the internet or didn't grow up with it, who are who see the internet as sort of a scary dark forest with lots of um, bad stuff lurking deep within it. And then you've got the people who've grown up with the internet who know there's bad stuff on it, but they know how to, you know, manage it and avoid it. Um, so for them, they know the paths through the forest, so there's no problems. Um, so I think there's a bit of a divide there as well. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see whether it gets, you know, whether it actually um, gets put to the parliament next year, um, and how it goes, and you know how it actually then goes um, through that process. Um, but I think a lot of the concerns that the the, the, the people opposed to it are, are expressing is it's not that they say that it isn't that it's bad to protect parents or protect children. They think they should have. The protections in place and opt-in filters are a really good idea, as is education and enforcement. Um, but filtering everybody and being and and having a secret list of what's filtered and and having uh, you know it unclear how people can get to add things to that list and take things off that list is what I think is scaring a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the uh, after 9/11, when we had expanded terrorist lists in, in the U.S., where the airlines had these lists of people who couldn't fly, and everyone's like, well, "Who's on the list, and why, and how do you get off, and how do you get on it?" Uh, yeah, and people get pretty upset about that kind of thing. But they pushed it through here, so <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it it may get pushed through here. Like um, Senator Conroy, who's been champion, it has been um, pushing the same message over the last uh, two years. And he hasn't deviated from that message at all um, in terms of introducing a filter. Has he stood for election since that, uh, you know, introducing the idea right before an election? Well, our, our next election is, uh, federal election is uh, next year, 2010. So um, it, I, I guess it will be tested in some sense there. Um, but I think most of the political commentators in Australia are fairly definite that, you know, something like this is, is not going to be enough to, um, you know, to have the, the current uh, government pushed out of power because they've got a very, very high approval rating and they've got a lot of support um, across the board. They've just replaced a government who was in place for um, about 11 years, so um, it, well, a bit more than that. So it's been a, a very big swing in their favour. So I don't think that. Um, you know, the, the election outcome is going to really be significantly impacted by this. Um, but, you know, there might be some nibbling around at the edges. We, we've got just about five minutes left. If, if Steve, do you have any questions about No Clean Feed, which I'm sure will, will be really interesting to follow over the next several months uh, before we move on to happier topics? No, I think it's uh, it's a fascinating uh, topic, and it's uh, you know kind of the the, the balance of uh, 
you know, like a lot of these things, uh, like social media, you know, it's like how much, you know, control versus openness. And uh, it's, it's always a, a, you know, a debate we have in the U.S. now. We have it with kind of the big net neutrality debate right now of uh, how much can we ensure the, the net will be neutral or do we need to, to have that, you know, kind of written down in law. So um, always interesting times on, on the on the Internet issues, you know. Absolutely. I was thinking, too, uh, Craig, when you, you said the, the, you know, kind of generation that didn't grow up with the web, you know, what they think about the Internet. And I was thinking it's almost like me in uh, Second Life, uh, although I, my perception is changing, you know, dramatically because I know people using it for all sorts of really cool things. But at first you're like, oh, that's where, you know, the, the perverts go. And, and I think that it's really hard to change those kind of perceptions, especially if people aren't willing to engage. Um, so I, I wish you know activists on on all sides good luck as they try to uh, you know try to negotiate uh, kind of a, a, a tough issue. Um, so you were at the broadband conference, and I know I have other other friends, uh, Allison Hornery and I, I believe uh, and uh, John Wells. I think were involved in in that as well. Is that so? Uh, yeah, I believe they're, they're both there. Um, I'm, I met up with Alison there um, briefly. Um, but there were about um, 300, 350 delegates there. And it was, uh, for me, it was, a, it was a very interesting crowd to see. Um, uh, the whole broadband area is actually being managed by the same uh, minister that is managing the filter. So it's been a little bit interesting having that last, or having that the week before last and having the filter come up last week. Um, but with the broadband futures, um, what Australia is basically looking at is the government is, is proposing to roll out a, a fibre optic to the home network starting at 100 megabit to every home. Um, so we're looking at, at doing that uh, nationally with about 90% of homes you know, getting that fibre and the other 10% being in remote areas being serviced by wireless and by satellite. So for Australia, it's, it's basically building an entirely new telecommunications system for the nation, um, which is uh, the, the largest uh, infrastructure project in our history um, over the last 200 years. So it's, it's an amazing, amazing, you know, major um, activity. Um, and this conference was bringing together a lot of uh, CEOs and CIOs of um, across government, telecommunications providers, various industry sectors to basically say, okay, we're going to build this network. What are some of the services we can look forward to having on it? You know, what are people's ideas and, and thoughts looking forward? And also, what are the challenges you see that we need to take into account even, either in building the infrastructure and the governance around it or on what goes on top of um, the basic network? Um, and so it was the first, um, I suppose, Gov 2.0 related conference I've been to that had uh, as many grey hairs as it did. And it was really good at getting um, all those people thinking in a positive way towards high-speed broadband and about um, you know, all of these social media services that can be offered on top of it. And I think for a lot of them, it was, they were um, fairly new to thinking about it in this way. And uh, I think it really... Got it. Got this whole topic on the map at those senior levels. And, uh, Craig, what is the the timeline for such an ambitious project? Because I know the the U.S. has always struggled. You know, even even cities struggle to get uh, universal broadband, and it's part of our stimulus package. Is this a, a decades long project or years? Well, it's it's looked at being done in over the next eight years. 
So uh, looking at less than a decade, but still fairly long. Um, but, you know, the work's already really started. Um, we've got a, a corporation set up who's rolling it out. They've got an architecture in place um, that a few people have been commenting on, which is good to start seeing that commenting and discussion happening. Um, and it looks like Tasmania, which is uh, our island state just to the south of Australia, um, which has, a, they have about half a million people. Um, they're looking at rolling it out first because they've been trying to put something like this in, in, into place for a little while because um, they've got uh, basically one telco controls uh, the traffic in and out of Tasmania and I don't think the government's ever really been happy at being at their mercy. Great. So that, one, that's one, being rolled out next year. Okay. Yep. And uh, can you tell us any uh, kind of 2.0 style engagement going on with that? Or, and also, how, how are they selling it to folks who might go, well, I don't need the Internet? Yeah, they're, they're still working that out. Um, I, I'm aware that they're in the process of setting up um, a whole consultation around it. So I think we'll see that um, at some point early in the new year where they're actually going to start um, speaking to people to say, okay, you know, what, what this could conceivably do for you, which some of which came out of this conference the, um, the other week, and what, um, what do people actually want from it? Um, so I think that we're going to see that um, possibly, you know, I, I, I don't know, I'm sure it'll be the first half of next year we'll start to see that really happening in a major way. Great, and we're off air now. Uh, Craig, I want to thank you so much for a fantastic discussion. I know we covered a lot of topics really uh, kind of a, a, a fat fashion there. Uh, that was great awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg of what's happening down here. Um, there, there's a lot going on in the Gov 2.8 space in Australia, and I think a lot of it the states are leading the way, so there's a lot that's going on. Great. Well, um, Craig, thanks so much. And again, folks can visit your blog. It's at, uh, can you give us the address again? Yeah, it's uh, egowau, egowau.blogspot.com. Great. Thank you, Craig. And uh, stay in touch online. You're on Twitter as uh, Craig Thomler, T-H-O-M-E-R. L-E-R. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to multitask here, I want to mention to folks uh, listening to this podcast uh, as a download that uh, next week, uh, December 27th, we're planning to have a discussion about gov 2 efforts in uh, local uh, smaller cities. We're going to be speaking with a couple of folks from Washington State, uh, Walter Neary, who's a uh, city councilman, and also Barb Chamberlain, who works for a university. Uh, thank you, uh, everyone, for joining us, and uh, good night or good day, uh, depending on which time zone you're in. And we'll be back next week. And uh, happy holidays to everyone as well. Great. Thank you.